Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Yes, good morning. Um, so I want to I want to preach on something specific this morning. Um, but before I do, I just want to address the the thing that's on all of our minds right now, and rightly so. The news, of course, for the last couple of weeks has been covering the uh, the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, who was killed by a police officer, a black man killed by a police officer, and the ensuing protests and riots in the U.S. and protests in the U.K. Because what this has done is it's uh, brought to light so much of the issue of racism, structural racism, racism, both in the US and in the UK. And many people as a result are speaking up. And actually, we believe that as a church, we need to respond as well. And there are three ways that we're going to do that or main ways that we're going to do that. First is that we're going to pray. We want to cover this issue of racism in prayer. Pray that God would be changing hearts and changing the scenery of the world. We've been praying in our services and praying in our prayer meetings for this issue. And the second thing we want to do is actually examine the way that as a church, we engage and champion black and Asian and minority ethnic people in our church. And the third thing we want to do is we want to look at what the Bible says about this. So in a few weeks, I'm going to preach on the problem of racism and how we as Christians should respond biblically. But just in case you're wondering why I'm not going to preach on this this week, you know, when things are so clearly at the, in, in the public eye and in everybody's attention. Well, there are two reasons that I'm going to just postpone this sermon for a couple of weeks. And number one is that it feels wrong to preach on this issue now and then potentially forget about the issue further down the line. I know that a lot of people are concerned that even though racism is in the public eye right now, soon as the coronavirus hits, you know, becomes the takeover subject in the news again. People are concerned that the issue of racism will be sidelined again. Well, I don't want that to happen with us. The second thing is that I just want to spend more time reading and researching and coming to a better understanding of the experience of black and Asian and minority ethnic people in the UK and in the UK church and in our congregation here at CCM at Fallowfield. Before I preach on this issue, I want to preach on it biblically and sensitively. So I want to ask for your help, actually, this morning. If you'd be willing to chat to me about your own experience of racism or uh, what it's meant to you to be non-white in a white majority setting in your life or in the church, I would really love to listen to you and understand better. So please jot down my email address when we read it out later on and get in touch. I might also get in touch with you. I want to start this conversation and approach this from all angles as a church. But this does relate to what I want to speak about this morning, because one of the things that I've been challenged to do over the last couple of months, and especially over the last couple of weeks, both as a white person and as a Christian, is to acknowledge where I've been wrong, to ask for forgiveness and to make choices to act differently moving forward. Which is why this morning I'd like to talk to you about repentance. Now, if you ever went to Sunday school, you were probably taught that to repent means to say sorry to God. And that's certainly part of it. Of course it is. But the thing about saying sorry is if you've ever uh, been a parent or been a child, then you know this. 
problem with saying sorry is that it doesn't always prevent us from doing exactly the same thing again, right? There's an American Christian fantasy author named Brian Davis who put it this way, sacrifice is at the heart of repentance. Without deeds, your apology is worthless. Now, you may have heard before that the New Testament Greek word for repentance, and you know that I love a Greek word, is metanoia. Now, this word denotes a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of purpose or a change of direction. The key word, the instrumental word there being a change. Now, I think talking about repentance in the church has gone out of fashion a little bit. And maybe that's because we prefer a message which is exclusively about love and acceptance or Perhaps it's because we're reluctant to tell anybody that God actually wants them to change. Or perhaps it's because we don't really like challenging one another to be better. Or perhaps, and I think this is likely, perhaps it's because when we start to challenge others on their sinful habits, our own become exposed and it makes us feel vulnerable. But get this, right? The first words of Jesus recorded in Mark's gospel are the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Those are the first words of Jesus as recorded by Mark, who only includes the highlights, you might say. He's the sharpest, shortest gospel. But this was Jesus' core message, which means that 50% of Jesus' core message called us to repent, to be changed, to change our hearts, change our minds, change the way we're living. Now, although this might sound really tough, I firmly believe that God is calling each one of us to an attitude of repentance. And that actually a group of Christians who are willing to admit where they've been wrong, ask for forgiveness and take steps to change. is one of the things the world really needs right now, actually. If we're going to understand where this challenging command from Jesus actually fits into our lives and what it actually means, then we need to see it in action. Right. And the Bible is full of examples of repentance stories. Probably the best example in the Old Testament, or at least my favorite, is the book of Jonah. Jonah is called to be a prophet by God. God calls Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And I want you to go and tell them that I'm so angry with their evil ways that I'm going to destroy their city. And Jonah does what most of us would probably do. He runs away. He boards a ship and he tries to put as many miles between himself and Nineveh as he possibly can. But God doesn't let him get away that easily. God quite literally rocks the boat and the sailors throw Jonah overboard. And what happens next is the most famous part of the book of Jonah. God sends a fish to swallow him up, preserving his life. And inside the fish, Jonah has this complete change of heart. He repents of his disobedience. And he says this in Jonah 2.9. He says, he says, God, I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. As we heard earlier from that quote from the American Christian fantasy author, repentance involves sacrifice and a change of heart, a change of mind. And here we have Jonah's repentance. What does he do next? He goes to Nineveh and he preaches that God is going to destroy the city in 40 days because of the people's evil ways. But to his shock, to his surprise, the people of Nineveh actually listened to him. And in this sense, Jonah is the most successful Old Testament prophet Jonah 3, 5 says the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. These days we call sackcloth 
Hessian, all right? It's not a comfortable item of clothing. But the people of Nineveh, even the king, repent of their sin and turn to God. And God decides not to destroy the city after all. In his mercy, God allows himself to be moved by the people's repentance. Jonah, in other words, is the story of a repentant prophet leading a city to repent. Now, the New Testament has countless examples as well, and many of them are written in the two books that are written by a uh, a doctor named Luke. In Luke chapter seven, the story is told of a, a woman who washes Jesus' feet with perfume. Now, the onlookers protest that this woman is sinful, but Jesus identifies this as a sign of her repentance, of her shift in mindset. He says, I tell you that her many sins are forgiven, so she showed great love. Right at the other end of the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 19, we're told the story of Zacchaeus, the vertically challenged tax collector who climbs a tree to see Jesus. Now, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner and moved by the fact that Jesus wants to eat with him, Zacchaeus has a complete change of heart. Having devoted his life so far to cheating people out of their money, he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. The book of Acts was written by the same person as the Gospel of Luke. And in Acts 8, we have the story of Philip, who's an early church leader, meeting an Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza. The Ethiopian man is struggling to understand the book he's reading. And the book he's reading is the prophet Isaiah. So Philip explains it to him. He says this story is all about God's saviour. God's promised saviour who washes away the sins of the world. And the man's mindset is completely changed by Philip's words. He puts his faith in Jesus. And when they come to the water, the man says, what can stand in the way of me being baptised? Acts 9, the next chapter, tells the story of the Apostle Paul, who on encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus, goes from being a Christian hunter to a Christian church planter. These stories are everywhere in the Bible. These stories of people's mindsets and hearts being completely and utterly changed. And the reason I've told several of them is because these are stories of repentance and they follow a pattern. Step one in all of these stories in this kind of pattern is that God offers forgiveness. That's the first step. God offers forgiveness. Whether it's God giving Jonah a second chance in the form of a fish or it's God offering a warning to the people of Nineveh before he destroys them, or whether it's Jesus building a reputation as the wandering preacher who forgives people's sins, something only God can do. God offers forgiveness for every sinful thing a person has ever done. That's step one of all these repentance stories. God says, I want to forgive you. Step two, a person or people are moved to repentance. A person is moved to repentance, whether it's Jonah deciding to obey God the second time of asking or the people of Nineveh having a collective change of heart. Or whether it's the woman who's often identified as Mary Magdalene bursting in while Jesus is having dinner and falling at his feet. Zacchaeus priorities shifting from money first to Jesus first or the Ethiopian eunuch, a man of wealth and high standing, hitching up his robes to jump into a pond and get baptised. Or whether it's Paul's complete transformation. In every story of repentance, a person's heart and mind are completely changed. But this isn't just our doing. This isn't the doing of humankind alone. 
A theologian, Charles Spurgeon, said, A sinner can no more repent and believe without the Holy Spirit's aid than he can create a world. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't repent and believe in Jesus. The Bible tells us it's the Spirit who moves us to repentance. But that's step two. A person is removed to repentance, which involves a complete shift in mindset and a desire to respond to God's offer of forgiveness. But it involves one more thing as well, because you would have noticed that in every single one of these stories, God offers forgiveness. Somebody responds by, by repenting and having their heart and mind changed. But then that person's repentance is followed by action. Jonah goes to Nineveh. The people of Nineveh stop what they're doing. They begin fasting and wearing sackcloth. A woman spends all of her money on perfume to wash the feet of Jesus. Zacchaeus gives his money away. The Ethiopian man gets baptised. Paul becomes a missionary. Each of these people responds to God's offer of forgiveness by repenting of their sin and doing something about it, taking physical action. Now, if you're a Christian today, this might sound really familiar to you. The word repentance might take you back to the moment when you first became a Christian and turned away from your former life to embark upon a new life built upon Jesus. If you're not a Christian today, then maybe this is a step that you haven't taken and you're wondering about taking. Well, I want to encourage you to check out our Alpha course and find out more or just chat to one of us here at the church. We'd love to chat to you about this journey. If you're a Christian and the idea of repentance takes you back to the start of your Christian journey. My question to you would be this. What has repentance meant to you since then? However long ago it may have been. Because the more I read the Bible, the more convinced I am that God is calling each one of us actually to an attitude of repentance. An attitude where we are willing to admit where we've got it wrong. To ask for forgiveness and to take action. Jesus talks about this attitude in the Sermon on the Mount, using a very extreme metaphor that was designed to shock the audience and shocks us as well. He says this. He says, look, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Here, Jesus is clearly saying that we don't just need to apologise for the things we've done wrong or for our sin, but we actually need to think about the sinful habits which need to be cut out of our lives. The things that have become a part of us that needs to be cut away. Now, put your hand in the air if you've ever apologised for something you've done wrong and then done it again later. If I could see you, I'd see every hand if you were brave enough to put your hand up. We all do this. It's part of the human condition. But here's the thing. We dramatically decrease our chances of messing up again in the same way. If we take action to cut out the problem, to tackle it at its root. Now, I can't speak into every single person's individual circumstances, but there are tons of examples of what this might look like in our lives. If, if alcohol is something that causes you to stumble, maybe you need to stop keeping reserves of alcohol in the house, right? That's one easy example. What if your phone causes you to stumble? Maybe you need to delete some apps or set rules for when you use your phone or invest in a less technologically advanced phone. If the internet causes you to stumble, 
Maybe you need to set up some filters which block certain websites. But for all of these things, and again, I can't speak into every person's individual circumstances. Maybe a good idea is to ask somebody to hold you accountable. Now this, the idea of this premise is that you uh, chat with somebody who you know and trust, somebody you're friends with, who's not afraid to challenge you on your sin. Now, I've had several accountability partners in various forms over the years, people who weren't afraid to ask me the awkward questions and challenge me on what I was doing to cut out my sinful habits. And every one has been instrumental in my journey as a Christian. And this idea seems a little bit like talking about repentance to have gone out of fashion, but let me encourage you to give this a go. It's a tried and tested way of helping one another to cut off those parts of our life, which is sinful. Recently, I felt really challenged to get rid of a bunch of PlayStation games. Right? I don't know how relatable this is, but I felt convicted about the kind of things that these games were glorifying and therefore the kind of things I was celebrating by playing them. And I asked Claire as I got rid of these games to keep me accountable, to, to, tell, to challenge me if I messed up again. Because I knew that if I just said I won't play those games anymore, but kept them in a cupboard, wouldn't be enough. I had to actually cut something off. Sometimes repentance, I think, involves not stopping a habit, but perhaps picking one up, right? Zacchaeus became generous. If money is something that has a lot of control over you, maybe that's a challenge to you as well. Maybe you need to bring some devotional time into your daily routine. Maybe you need to make amends with somebody. That metaphor that Jesus uses of cutting off limbs, I, I don't know exactly what kind of other cultural metaphors he was drawing from. There's been a lot of speculation, but for me, it reminds me of an operating theatre. An operating theatre was something they wouldn't have had 2000 years ago, but a theatre where the only course of action left is for the surgeon to amputate a limb. Perhaps it's because the limb has become so infected that the only way to prevent the infection from spreading throughout the body is to cut it off. Sinful habits are like infections. Before we know it, they spread to our whole being. They take over. They become out of control. And this is why I believe God is calling us to an ongoing attitude of repentance. Because God, by his Holy Spirit, who lives in us, if you've put your faith in Jesus, is mercifully willing to convict us of our sin, show us where we're going wrong, and give us the strength to cut off those sinful habits which are at risk of infecting the rest of our being. But let me emphasize this. God is so willing to forgive us. He takes sin very seriously. Sin, the things that make us into the gods of our own lives. He takes sin so seriously, so seriously that in the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, he gave us a way for all our sin to be forgiven. And in case you're wondering just how many times God will forgive you, as an imperfect person who gets it wrong again and again. Well, in Luke 17, verses three and four, Jesus tells his disciples how to forgive one another. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Jesus is encouraging his disciples to forgive as God forgives, not to ignore sin, but to be like God who takes sin seriously, who rebukes sin and challenges sin and convicts us of our sin by the Holy Spirit. 
But when we come to him and we admit that we're wrong and ask forgiveness, he is ready to forgive us and give us the strength we need to cut out that problem. So I wonder this morning if, if God is challenging you to have an attitude of repentance this morning. Is he challenging you to cut something out of your life? Well, I want to encourage you. Why don't you speak to somebody about it? Send a text, chat to someone in your house, set up a Zoom call. Sometimes the biggest step we can take in these things is to admit that there's an issue. And I'm going to pray in just a moment that by his Holy Spirit, God would bring us to an attitude of repentance, that he would forgive us of our sin and that he would send us out. Because right now, I don't think the world needs a bunch of people who are perfect or pretending to be perfect. It needs people who are willing to humbly admit where they've gone wrong, who ask for forgiveness and take action. And by his mercy, God is making everyone who follows him more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. Now, I don't want you to feel this morning challenged by Andy. But if you feel challenged by God, by the words of scripture, then that is the Holy Spirit at work in you. I've said all of this out of love because I believe that God is calling us as a church to a deeper level of holiness and maturity and that he's calling us to repent as part of that. So I'm just going to finish in prayer. Lord God, I want to thank you that you are a God who forgives. God, you are perfect. And God, I acknowledge now that I have failed so many times to live up to your standard of perfection, something I can never live up to. But I thank you that you are a God who forgives. Lord, I pray that within our congregation this morning, you'd be moving us to an attitude of repentance where we can admit our imperfections, ask you to forgive us and take action to cut out those sinful habits before they get too strong. Lord, I pray that you would continue to restore us to be more like Jesus by your Holy Spirit. Amen.